Coming to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, by way of Stone Mountain, Georgia, birthed by the great state of South Carolina, is the Bryant Land Country Podcast, your place for any and everything in hunting, fishing, sports, and outdoor related, with heavy doses of randomness, guests, and an all-around good time. Here's your host, proud Gamecock, South Carolina Forever, AB3. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Bryantland Country Podcast. I am your host, AB3. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for joining us, downloading, listening on the various places that you can download and listen to our podcasts. You know the places, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Radio Play, TuneIn app, all the wonderful places that you can listen to the Bryant Land Country Podcast. We appreciate you for taking the time. So this week, I got a really great guest. Um, I actually got a chance to do a face-to-face interview. Uh, we did it at his house uh, while I was going to pick up my uh, turkey mount. But before I tell you about the guest, I was reminded of a conversation I had a few weeks back when I was doing baseball in Atlanta, and I was talking to one of my camera operators. Um, actually, it was two of us, so or two camera operators. So all three of us were sitting around. And, you know, whenever I go do events in Atlanta, it's special um, because that's kind of one of the places where I came up doing events, um, whether it's uh, Massachusetts, South Carolina, and then um, in Atlanta, Georgia, in that area, you know, I'm, I've made a lot of friends over the years. So when or a lot of friends in the business I should say and when we get together we're always just talking shooting the breeze having a good time and it's part of what makes work fun so on this day we were setting up to do baseball uh Braves versus Brewers and two of my camera guys we were sitting around and we were talking and one of them brings up a I think it was a YouTube video. Well, first, the conversation naturally went into talking about hypnotizing turkeys. Now, before you sigh and roll your eyes, all I'm going to say is Google hypnotizing turkeys. Okay? Because I didn't believe it either. I didn't. It's like, Tracy, what in the Mississippi hell is this? Okay? Like, you know, because Tracy, you know, is California and... You know, he's got family in Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, I think. So, you know, he's got some real deep southern relatives. And he started telling me and Corey, my other cam operator, um, about hypnotizing turkeys. And I guess you can do it to chickens as well. But it's like you grab them and you hold them down, you draw a line. And when you let them up, they walk straight down the line. If I didn't see it on YouTube... I wouldn't believe it. Um, He showed me the video, but um, it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. So when you get a chance, take some time and go Google hypnotizing turkeys. I've never seen anything like that. Now, as for my guest this week, my guest is my taxidermist, Dave Pollock, here in the Wisconsin area. Dave has done all except for two of my taxidermy pieces um, so far. Uh, Dave is a great taxidermist, uh, family guy. He's got a great um, office 
uh, workshop area down uh, in uh, Wisconsin. And, you know, I've been to his house. I've met his wife. So he's, you know, just a really uh, cool cat. Um, seeing his work, seeing the projects and stuff that he's uh, worked on. But me and Dave sat down. We had a great conversation just talking about taxidermy. Uh, he's obviously a diehard hunter um so we talk about some of his hunts he had just came back off of a bear hunt and a cougar hunt so uh we get into that a little bit but um yeah it was a great time i'm glad i got a chance and i'm glad dave had the time to sit down and have a conversation with me so as per usual i'm gonna fall back you guys kick back and listen to my conversation with dave pollock from dave's creative taxidermy so it's rare that I actually get to do one of these interviews where I'm face to face and actually get to look at the subject matter. This is only the second time I've done one face to face, so it's kind of good to actually get a chance to do this. So how's it going? Going really good. Good. Really good. So now you are back from Utah. Did a oh. Utah mountain lion hunt and a Manitoba uh, spring bear hunt. Okay. In the last three weeks. Jesus. A lot of hunting. A lot of fun. Along with your taxidermy work. Along with working, <laughs> well, getting work done in between all of that. And taking the time to talk to me. So and that, taking that, time for you. I, yes. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a double whammy. I can't wait to see my uh, turkey uh, mount anyway. So. Yeah, absolutely. So how did, the, uh, how did the mountain lion hunt go? Like I saw the pictures. It looked like you had a good time. It was successful. Um, killed a really nice cat. Mm-hmm. Um, Try to make a long story short. We actually had a dog that was killed on the hunt. We, wow. went, in, we went in on a... Uh, most people don't understand how a mountain lion hunt actually works. I was one of them. I thought it was a completely different deal than what I experienced. Okay. What you see on TV and video isn't reality. <laughs> it's 12 hours a day right. driving, looking for a track. The guide's looking for tracks along the dirt roads. Right. They actually drag the roads night before, try to see a cat coming across the roads. How these guys find tracks is beyond me. I couldn't find a track. If I even told the outfitter, don't don't count on me for nothing, man. I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> um, but it's a it's it's a it's a good 10, 12 hours a day looking for a track. And then when you find a track, it's got to be a fresh track. It can't right. be something that's two or three days old, which we obviously ran into that quite a bit. Wow. But um, you find a track, you head out, uh, send the dogs out, and then you watch the dogs or watch them on your GPSs how they're working and how they're running. And when they're confident they're on a cat, mm-hmm. then it gets fun. Then you basically, it, the fun part is you sit there for three, four, five, six hours watching a GPS and doing nothing. <laughs> so if that's fun, um, so be it. Um, but when it gets exciting is when the guy tells you, okay, the dogs are actually on a cat. Right. They can tell by how the GPS, the, the, the dogs are all collared, and they can tell by how they're grouped up and how they're running and how fast and how many miles they're covering every hour. Wow. And when they get on that certain rotation or pattern they know there's a cat involved and that's when it gets your heart gets a little excited but you're still five or six hours away from ever getting out of the truck and going and looking for the dogs right because you're (laughs) just basically driving like down an access road and then once it you know you get like you said the sign or whatever then you're going in through the thick and through the woods and all like that. well that that doesn't actually start until um they'll watch the gps's for four or five hours and make sure that because you gotta realize they're tracking a cat from the night before that okay. cat could have roamed 7 or 10, 12 miles that night. So those dogs are doing a lot of work. And, um, and then what we did, we did we, we went up on a hillside, and we actually sat there and watched and actually listened for the dogs. Okay. They were confident. Both guides were confident the dogs were on a cat. Then okay. you regroup. You get a game plan. 
we drove to a couple different spots. Did we come up a canyon? Did we come up and over a mountain? Mm-hmm. How do we get to where the dogs are probably going to end up? So that takes time. And then they still don't have the confidence yet that the dogs have actually got a cat. <laughs> we, we had a we had a dog that was running around the tree, which is a, which is a sign that they, they have something treed. Okay, this dog will actually run around while they're watching a GPS and they're watching the blip go around and around and around. Circle, yep. So then we figured, okay, he's got a cat. So then we planned our route to get to him. Um, probably a five or six mile hike up and over some mountains down into a valley up another valley to get to where the dogs are and the sad part is we got to that tree and there was a dog laying there dead we had a dead wow. dog so the, the cat killed we the- don't know if the dogs got because the dogs will get very territorial we had sure. two different packs and two different outfit two different guides had their eight dogs each out there and there okay. might have been some some crossover like hey this is my cat get out of here start fighting off and you get an alpha male in the group and that's what they are you know so we got up there the dog wasn't dead but he was on his last you could tell he was not going to make it out yeah so i basically start packing up my bow thinking this hunt's over with this day and this was our last day of our hunt too i mean what a way to go from a exhilarated feeling to like okay put your bow sling back together (laughs) um put a jacket on because this day is done Done. well yeah what happened is the other outfitter heard the dogs barking about a quarter mile down the canyon so he told us to hold tight he was gonna go see what was going on he's looking at his gps he's seeing that they got something treated he doesn't know if it's a bear or a cat because they these, these cats these dogs will tree cats and and bears okay he gets down there he radios back to us um want to does somebody want to come down here and kill this cat we had that I, that's treed and i go from <laughs> holy crap in a real, like, kind of depressed mode to like all of a sudden you're pumped again right and pack everything up you know hike a quarter mile into a canyon up a hillside which isn't like walking down the street it took us 45 minutes to cover that ground Jeez. so you get there you're huffing and puffing come up the hillside you see the cat up in a tree which to me was exhilarating as hell that was like the moment when you see a buck walk through the woods and you actually right. see him. Yeah. That's what happens. And that's, well, you get up there, you look at the cat, I'm going to get my bow, get my glove on, my release on, the cat jumps out of the tree. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, come on. Like jumps out of the tree take, and then and on the ground and take when, off? When they see a human or a yeah. couple, two or three humans, they get nervous and, and bolt. Right. Well, once the dogs are on a cat, it's it's done. It's just a matter of, okay, is he going to go a quarter mile, half a mile? Where's he going to go? Right. He ran another 800 yards down, up the canyon, up the hillside. Not down or nothing. He goes up. Wow. So... Pack up all your crap again, hike 45 more minutes, you're sweating and breathing to get right. up to this other tree where he's treed and looked at him, worked my way around the top top side of the, of the cliff, yep. the hill, so I'm more eye level with him now, as you can see in the video that I sent yeah. you. Yep. Um, Got to get your breathing under control because you're huffing and puffing. Took a shot, hit him right in the heart. I mean, it was a perfect shot. Jumps up, falls out of the tree. And in the video, if you look at the last clip of the animal actually falling, he's mm-hmm. actually dead. You can see his body go limp. Right. You really got to slow it down and look for it, but he's dead. Hits the ground. Dogs are all over him. Done. Wow. Finally done. Then you have to go over there and kick the dogs off the cat because they want to tear at it and wrestle right. with it. And the, the pups are trying to get in there to smell it. And they want they want the dogs to do that. Right. Because it's almost like when you're using dogs on a hog hunt. So are these hounds or catch pits or what are they're hounds of some kind okay. big black dogs they yeah. got uh if you gave me if you name some names i could probably tell you what i heard out there blue tick is that a hound that sounds like yeah that's one type yeah. they mentioned they have a lot of cross they, they breed certain breeds together to Mutt, create these yeah. dogs yep um but they're 
they're exciting to watch. But the, once the cat's dead and the dogs are off the cat, off the cat, yeah, the dogs kind of go into this relaxed. Okay, we're done mode, right? And go lay down, lick, right. get some water out of the river. It's like they did their job. It's it's amazing <laughs> to see. Yeah, um, it it sounds like just kind of like um, from what I've done, um, like um hunting pigs with dogs hunting uh wild boars with dogs and i mean they get out there and they get after them and then it's like once they get them bait up and stuff and you take them out then it's like all right we're job good. over yeah we job did what over. we're supposed to do and it, it is amazing to watch those dogs work that's the thing about a hunt like that everybody you know your goof, goofy people in this world think everybody goes out to kill something the kill was the kill was three seconds right i drew my bow back i aimed i shot the cat was dead Four days of 12 hours a day and six hours that day, seven hours that day to get to that cat for a three-second shot. Right. And then it's all, you know, you're skinning the cat, you're taking photos with it, you're doing all this stuff. Right. Um, all this culmination for three seconds worth of exhilaration. But I tell you, that's, that's the one high in the world that if you're a hunter, you understand it. But other people that don't hunt don't get it. Exactly. That, that exhilaration feeling, that adrenaline for that few seconds. And, and hunting's highs and lows. I mean, that trip was a... Uh, up and down, and we're going to get something. I just, I just got to a point where I wanted to see a cat. I right. care less about killing them. I wanted to see one. And see, the, with you and knowing what I know about you, you don't do just regular hunts. Like, you don't go, like, just, all right, we're going to go, we're going to sit in a tree, or we're going to go, we're going to sit and stand. Like, your shits are hard. They are hard. <laughs> like, did a mountain goat hunt that was six you, days of hell up and right. down the mountains. And I tell you, and those are the hunts – you know, and there's nothing wrong with a guy going to a, a fenced hunt or a tree stand and stuff. Everybody's got their own thing, right? But you've got to experience some of this stuff where it is mentally and physically going to. It's demanding and it's tough. Yeah, it's very tough. And yeah. it, some of the animals I've shot that are like that, those are the most prized possessions I have in the world because that. That mountain goat hunt, for example, that's six days of walking uphill, 45-degree hills, rocky shale, slipping and sliding, getting to points where you could shoot a goat. But if you did, he'd fall over the cliff and you never recover him, so you got to back off of that, and that's very disheartening. Yeah, so I can imagine. So hunting is a big range of emotion. Every guy that hunts will tell you they've missed animals. They've right. blown stalks. They've gotten winded. Um, but getting back to the cat hunt um, – do all this stuff with the photos, skin the cat out, pack them up, do all that stuff. And then we got to walk back to where this dog is now, where the dog was killed by something. Right. Um, outfitter, one guy went back to take care of his dog. So me and the other outfitter packed up everything, hiked over to him. Yep. And he basically turned around and said, yeah, the dog died. Oh. So it was kind of, uh, there's that emotional roller coaster yeah, again. <laughs> kind of bittersweet, yeah. And the, the, the crazy part of that, I don't know if I sent you a photo. I, I took a picture, which some people might think is kind of morbid or whatever, but I wanted to do it for to show people that they'd understand. We walked up on this dog that was laying there dead. Mm -hmm. The sister of that dog was sitting there so stoic, like a Marine with his fallen brother that just got shot. Yeah. Standing there stoic and actually... Um, I didn't see this, but the outfitter told me when they walked up there, there were two dogs laying on top of this one to protect it. Oh, wow. So these dogs are somewhat like people. I mean, they protect their own the way humans do. Right. You know? It's like a band of brothers kind of thing. Yep. And that dog, so the outfitter loads up the dog on his shoulders, and I had the unfortunate luck of walking behind him for the next five hours, walking out of the bush wow. with a guy carrying his dog. And the dog of the, the live dog that was the sister of the one that died – walked right next to me the whole way and like almost as if i had trained it to heal next to me yeah i stopped it would stop it would look at me it would you know just like it was just like 
looking for some consoling of some kind. So I'd pet it on the head and, you know, but you could tell there was a definite look of sadness in that dog. It was amazing. And it's, um, it's an experience, but they, I find out after the fact that, um, it's pretty common to lose a dog every year, maybe a couple of them every year. Yeah. It's not uncommon. Bears are really notorious for killing dogs. Do they have like the vest and everything on too? when No, which, you know, the collar um, will protect the dog from a, if a cat would get it, yeah. from biting it and killing it. Obviously, cats are going to go for the throat. Or our dogs are going to go for the throat. Right. But um, I never actually found out what killed this dog or mm-hmm. how it got killed. I know it had some punctured um, lungs. I know it had some bite marks in its head. But what from, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Because that's like, I know a lot of guys that run dogs for like hogs and stuff. They have like the protective vest and um, yeah. around the body or whatever. But even like the one that I went on. You know, like you said, all that stuff happens so fast. Yeah. And then, like, after you come back, like, when we got back to camp and we were skinning the hog and everything, you could see cuts, like, on the face where the dog had already got cut by the hog. And it's just like, when did and that happen? There <laughs> were there were five or six dogs at the tree yeah. that had um, – their ears were tore up. They had scars on their faces. Yep. They were they – were, there was a fight there. Something yeah. either was with, amongst the dogs themselves right. or another cat. Now – the crazy part is we had a tom and a female running together. Okay. So one theory is, did we treat the female? The tom ambushed the dog because mm. they had him treed. Right. Then the female jumps out of the tree. The dogs ignore that one because now this tom is on the ground, you know, mauling the dog, and all the dogs are fighting it. That that would explain a lot of scratches and torn ears that we saw. Right. But in, you know, the ground was so tore up, something happened there. Yeah. Something. Was, so when we were watching on a GPS and these dogs were around the tree, and the one dog I said was running around. Mm-hmm. Well, he was running around because there was something going on there, too. Right. There was a fight going on. Right. So the other part is we sat and waited about 20, 25 minutes before we went in. Mm-hmm. And I know the one guy that lost his dog, I know he was kind of thinking if we had gone in earlier, we might have prevented that. Mm. But, you know, it is what it is. Right. You, know, you he, never know. He took it with a grain of salt to a certain extent because he's had it happen before. Right. But this dog was, of course, five years old, coming into his prime, one of his leaders, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, it's hunting. Yeah, you know, things happen. It it, could one of us could have been killed for crying out loud. You fall off a rock ledge or do something stupid, right? You know, on these on these mountainous hunts and stuff, um, there are things looking back I've done on these hunts that you wonder, man. You're walking across this ledge, you're walking on this little rock shelf. If it mm-hmm. slips and gives way, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right, right. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And it's, it's, it's part of the deal. You know, it's a risky thing, but that's what makes it fun. Right. You know, if it wasn't exhilarating and adventurous, uh, you can go sit and watch hunting on TV. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, that's the other thing. Guys watch that stuff on TV so much, and it's great to see, and it's fun to watch, but mm-hmm. uh, get out and live it. You know? Yeah, when you actually get out and do it, and yeah. things don't always come together as perfectly yeah. as they do. And the thing with TV is be careful what you watch, because what you see on TV and reality it can either be better in reality or like what I found with the mountain lion hunt, mm-hmm. it's a lot less subdued, a lot less exciting than it seems to be because there's a lot of downtime of doing a lot of nothing and looking and like glassing for animals. You can spend hours glassing an animal right? and next thing you know it's noon and then next thing you know it's four o'clock in the afternoon you're going back to camp and you haven't done nothing all day. Yeah. That's how yeah. it goes. Yeah. But it makes it all worthwhile when it works out in the end. As a person who has spent 20-something years in television, I always tell people, it's just like, if you believe everything you see on TV and you put stock in everything you see on TV, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> you just can't you know, completely, you know, take all that. And that's the, not a slight for a the people that do it. A lot of the hunting shows are edited in their, in their storylines. And exactly. I won't mention the name of a guy I saw on TV recently let the cat out of the bag accidentally. And I'm surprised they didn't edit it out. 
every hunt you watch, you know, it doesn't always seem to be that the guy kills something the last day of the hunt. <laughs> How many times have you watched a white tail, a bear, whatever, and it's the last freaking day of the hunt? Last well, day, this guy last hour. On the, on the show said, no, this is really our last day. Now, you, you may get that on other shows where they're everything. So he kind of said something that let me think, yeah, they're telling stories, which is which is what the, it is what it is, the show. Right. Right. But um, and hunting shows to me are nothing but infomercials for products and this and that, and they show a kill of an animal. Um, what I like to see, like on like on Jim Shockey's show, all the background into a hunt. You yeah. know, I took photos and some video of my hunts at the airport and mm-hmm. meeting the people, the family I met in Utah. Actually, I've been texting them back and forth during the Bucks run. Yeah, because those kids have never watched basketball before. <laughs> They're really? Bucks fans now. Oh, yeah. Wow. They live out in Utah and the mountains. They don't play basketball yeah, out there. Well, they got the jazz out there. Yeah, but that's up in Salt Lake City. They're, they're down in the southern part. and uh, They don't watch basketball. Wow. But they know what the Bucks are now, and it's unfortunate the Bucks lost. But too Yeah. Bad. <laughs> Look at you being so, an ambassador for the Bucks while you you're out you. hunting. You betcha. Hey, <laughs> I had to do something. I, watch, I can't wait to come back from hunting the Bucks are on TV. It worked out perfect. There you, you know? go. But, let, me, let me ask you this because I want to circle back to one thing, and I've always kind of admired this. Um, since I've known you, like, do you have a specific training regiment? Like when you go hunting and stuff, like, you know, do you have any kind of special exercises or anything you do? Or if you just, I, I just try to, if it's a mountain hunt, you, you need to hike, you need to, uh, treadmill uphill. You need to do a lot of stuff for a mountain hunt. Don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't ever shortchange yourself on a mountain hunt by saying, oh, if I just sit and eat chicken wings and sit in a chair all day, I'm going to go out west, kill a mountain goat or a lion, and everything's going to be great. Right. Um, so many outfitters have told me when they talk to you on the phone and you tell them, they ask you what kind of shape you're in, of course, everybody's in great shape. They always, everybody says that. Nobody's going to say you're a fat slob and you're overweight. Right. Um, and their biggest fear is a guy getting up the airplane, coming through the gate, and he looks at him, he's like 300 pounds, and a guy can barely walk. Okay, how is he going to hike in for mountain goats or rams or something in the mountains for 10 days? It's right. not going to happen. Right. And you need to do something to get yourself in shape. And far as a shooting, from shooting standpoint, a couple arrows a day. Don't mm-hmm. don't shoot for an hour, hour and a half. You're not helping yourself. Right. If you're rifle hunting, obviously go to the range and shoot your gun. But um, if you're a bow hunter, which I am predominantly, right. um, five, six arrows a day mm-hmm. um, from 10 yards, 20 yards. You only need to be shooting 75 yards, 80 yards. Mm-hmm. If you can shoot him at 20 yards and put him in a Dixie cup, you're going to be just fine. Right. Um, but yeah, just trying to stay in physical shape for him is is, is important if you want to have a fun time. Sure. So put in, you usually plan a hunt like that out six, eight months or a year, or sometimes two years in advance. Right. You you owe it to yourself to do something physical, to do fit, so get, in, get in physical condition. Yep. Absolutely. So you, yeah. and you're always working out every day. Every day, six days a week. And it's not, um, Maybe it is. Maybe maybe I do it because I know I'm going hunting in a year. <laughs> I, I got. I'm a motivator. I got to have a goal. I, yeah. My whole life's been nothing but goals. You know, I wanted to be a full time taxidermist at age forty. I wanted to go to Africa. I wanted to go to New Zealand. I wanted to go do all these hunts. Right. And I'm fifty now. So to say when you're in your thirties and forties, is it impossible? Nothing's impossible. Yeah. You just have to know what you want to do and and, and find a way to do it. You know. Yep. Um, I save for these hunts. I'm not rich. Um, I save for them. We plan for them. Sure. Um, we're planning a trip to New Zealand in uh, 2000, end of 2020 wow. for chamois and tar up in the mountains. Okay. You know, and I plan on, you can do a helicopter flight up that. I told the guy I want to hike it. I don't want to, I don't want no helicopter ride. Wow. I want to hike it. I want to, I want to, I want to live the experience. A helicopter, you know, they can take all the fat, rich guys up on the <laughs> helicopter. And they, they actually, they can meet me walking down while I'm going up. <laughs> you know, I'll see those guys in camp and have a better story. What are they going to do? So they, <laughs> They flew to the top of the mountain and killed something. I'm going to say, you know, I hiked and stalked and 
you know, got a got a chamois or a tar with a bowl, yeah, and they're going to use a rifle, and I mean, it's just fine against rifle hunting. But right. it's um, whatever you want to do in life. You know, if you're one of those types of people, that's fine. If you want to hike and do everything the hard way, like I do, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. You do things the hard way, but I can always tell, like when you conquer, like whatever that goal is, or whatever that hunt is, it, it always shows in your face because the way you mm-hmm. talk about it, you just light up. You know, and that's the other thing. I don't want to. I, I, I do a lot of talking at for seminars for my taxidermy business and mm-hmm. stuff. And I don't want ever people to think I'm arrogant or cocky about it. I just, I'm just generally excited about it. Yeah. And I don't typically talk about hunting unless somebody asks me about it. I'm right. not one of these guys that shows up at a banquet and says, by the way, I killed 15 <laughs> animals last year. What'd you do? I don't do that. Right. There are guys like that. Right. Um, but I will ask, ask, um, answer questions very honestly. I did a seminar at a high school. A kid asked me, oh, did you feel bad about killing a giraffe? And I kind of got irritated because mm-hmm. right? I knew where, I knew where the question was going. Right. So it was one of these liberal BS <laughs> questions. Oh, did you feel bad about killing? I said, you know, kid, that they hadn't killed a giraffe there in twelve years. Yeah, they were looking for the right person with the right studio to display it, to mount it, whatever. And I just happened to be there. And I'm like, I ain't gonna apologize for that. Yeah, you know, if an animal can legally be shot. There is no nothing anybody should ever apologize for. No. Ever. If you're a hunter and you're apologizing for hunting, then go to go knit, you know, stockings <laughs> or something. Go do something ridiculous. You know, go hug a tree or go cry in a room. Because I don't, I don't think that's the way society should be. People eat chicken and beef. And they don't complain about the chickens and cows being killed, slaughtered. Yeah, and that's that's you know. But I had a I had a lady uh, the other day. I was on Twitter, and I'm hardly ever on Twitter. Um, not for any particular reason. I'm just hardly ever on Twitter. And I was on there and I saw where I got tagged and it was just like somebody I've never heard of, never said anything to, don't know anything about. Another hunting obsessed idiot. It's like, okay. Um, so I was just like, all right, whatever. And I forgot I replied or something. I was just like, well, thanks, whatever. And then somebody else jumped in. And this was what got me upset. Somebody else jumped in and she was like, Probably just some guy that likes to shoot his gun and overcompensate for something, something or whatever. And the other lady jumped in. Like, this was a long thread. And the other lady jumped in and she was just like, yes, and especially during tea time. I can't believe I have to look at this during tea time. I said, well, one, you don't have to look at it. Two, I hope a bird poops in your tea. And I haven't been (laughs) back on Twitter since. I mean, like, it's just... Uh, you know whatever your thing is if you like it great if you don't don't like i don't go around harassing vegans you know what i mean like the, that the kind people, of deal I don't, I don't even have a twitter account i don't i don't do any you of don't that. do a lot of social I, media i don't do any of it because i like to confront people they're not confront but talk to people in person right you can't anybody can hide behind a microphone anybody Keyboard can hide gangsters. behind a, yes. uh, a, a phone or whatever yep but when you get out and talk to people and i don't I don't have a vendetta or some goal in life to change people's opinions, but I'm honest about it. Yeah, I kill stuff because I want to. I'm not going to lie. I enjoy it. Right. I really get a thrill out of it. I eat the stuff. I mount the stuff. I'm proud of it. It's yep. not this thrill kill. Let's stack up as many deer in the back of a pickup and drive around with them and then dump them off into a ditch someplace. That's right. not what it's about. And most hunters are not about that. That's right. the part that's. And most guys shouldn't confront. I think you just forget the Twitter stuff. Forget that crap because those people are are cowards that hide behind that stuff and say these little snarky comments or actually get pretty belligerent with you. It, it is. And I don't, I don't. And a lot of times, you know, you tell athletes and stuff to kind of just, you know, go past it because they're looking for that aha, that gotcha moment. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not that famous, and if you say something out of the pocket to me, I'm going to say something out of pocket no, to you back. I had a school teacher ask me point blank why I like to hunt. You know what I told her? So when I pick up a gun or a bow and I walk out into the field, my goal is to kill something. And she looked at me like, what are you talking about? Killing something? Uh, if I'm going to go out there and take photos or, or bird watch, what am I taking a gun or a bow for? Right. My goal is to kill something. Right. And as humanely and as quickly, and all these goofy liberals, go watch what an African lion does to a zebra or a wildebeest out in Africa. And when they eat it alive from the rear end to the front, and that zebra is still alive, and they're mauling it, and they're actually eating it, and well, the thing is alive. That's that's cruel. Humans, we don't do that stuff. Yeah. Well, you don't have to go that far. Hell, you can look at coyotes. That's, that's <laughs> uh, right here. Yeah, wolves, they, the, way, the way they destroy animals yeah. and tear them apart. Yeah. The animals don't kill other animals very quickly. They, they hold them down, and the other ones come in and, 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 and start, start scarfing off. The yeah, yep. Exactly. So yep. I look at it this way. I talk to people face-to-face, have a civil conversation. If it's going to go bad, I just excuse myself. I don't have time for that crap. Sure. These people are trying to get, like you said, they're trying to get the aha moment or yeah. catch you. Then they pull out their phone and they start recording you. Then, they, then, then, yep. they, then it gets fun. Right. Gotcha. <laughs> so so you left. Now, did you leave the mountain lion hunt and then went straight to Canada? No, I came home. I worked for a week. Okay. I came home, finished up a lot of stuff, mounted some stuff on purpose so it would be drying while I was gone, and I went to Manitoba the following. So I, I hunted for 10 for seven days, came home for seven days, and then left for seven days later. Wow. Now, this is going to sound, some of your viewers are going to say, oh, this guy, oh, poor him. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I understand that if I heard another guy say, well, yeah, wow, you went hunting for two weeks and you complained about how tired and, and rough it was. Yeah. Um, it is hard. And most people don't understand what a seven-day hunt or a 10-day hunt is all about. Right. And you guys go weekend deer hunting. Okay, you're on a stand four hours a night, four hours in the morning, a couple days a week, big deal. Right. Hunt five, I'll give some of the people on TV credit. When they hunt five, six, seven, 10, 12 days in a row, yeah. or like Jim Shockey who travels for a year on his Uncharted program, yeah. it's tough. Yeah. There's homesickness. There's physically, mentally. And then you got to stay sharp so when the opportunity comes... You can't you can't afford to miss it. Right. You got to be ready. Right. But it was it was a great. This was probably the best three weeks in hunting I've had. I shot a mountain lion, came home, did some work, talked to some clients, did this that, mm-hmm. um, and then headed up to Manitoba, um, to where I bear hunt with a with a group of guys wow. that were clients of mine. Yeah, that I know. Because I know you you are the second person that has tried to get me to go on a bear hunt, and in in, in I my think you're afraid, I'm not afraid. <laughs> in in my in my young hunting experience you know like i tell people i've only been hunting you know maybe four years now going on five obviously you know because the first day i ever shot i bought to you but in my mind it's just like hunting something that is trained its entire life to survive and hunt and kill i'm just mm, i don't know i'm coming around because Mm -hmm. the bear the bear thing is kind of interesting to me people hunt bears in georgia you know down south and whatever and i know it's a different you know experience when you go to canada or out west or something like that but and then you do it with a bow too so that 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 we had a guy that came along first time he rifle hunted okay 12 yard 20 yard shot with a rifle at a bear he said it was very exciting very exhilarating the other misconception about a Canadian bear or a Wisconsin bear when you have bait that, you know, Yogi Bear walks into the bait every day at 2 o'clock and there's four, other, four of his friends come along, get to pick all these areas. I didn't see a bear for the first three days of this trip. And this was a seven-day deal. Yes. And the other guy that shot a bear, he's on his last day, he mm-hmm. shot a bear. He didn't see a bear all week. Now, you're sitting in a stand from 
Two in the afternoon till about 10, 15 at night. That's last time I checked, that's about eight and a half hours, eight hours. Yep. Picture doing that for four days out in the deer woods and never seeing a deer, a doe, a fawn, or a buck. Right. Never. And then, but getting up every day, doing your thing, yep. knowing that if you just persist along. Um, now, some bear hunts, first day it's over. First 10 minutes it's over. Mm-hmm. Second day it's over. First day it's over. It can happen. Right. Um, this year was strange. It was very tough getting bears to come in. We were, I always felt we were a day late to every bait we hunted. Okay. Because you don't hunt the same baits twice. Right. So I felt like we were always coming to a bait after it was hot and after it got hit. But inevitably, we had four guys shot four bears. The week before, they had 13 guys and shot 12 bears. The 13th guy missed two of them. <laughs> so basically, it's about it's 100% success on, what was that, 17 guys in two weeks, and one guy missed two bears. So it was 100% success. But it was very sporadic, up and down. Typically, mm-hmm. you'll see a bear, at least a bear every day. Okay. This week, these first two weeks, um, Guys were going a day, two days, three days without seeing a bear. Wow. It's strange. Now, and then what's the temperature like up there? This it can time be in the 50s up to uh, the day I shot my bear. I sat from 11 o'clock in the morning till I shot the bear at 920 at night. Jesus. And it got up to 75 and you're sitting in the sun, you're sweating and stuff. And then it gets cooler at night. So then you got to put clothes on, you get right. cold. So the sun goes uh, But when, when the bear pops out after all that time of sitting, you better have your you better have your screws tight. Because you better you got, you got to get that shot and you got to make <laughs> right. it work. Right. And I, I'm actually... In I'm not going to gloat, but I made uh, another perfect hard shot on this bear. He went about 60 yards, and I could hear him moaning, and he died. And yeah. It worked out great. Beautiful animal, too. You'll see it mounted next year. Wow. It'll be a beautiful animal. And one of my biggest bears I've ever shot, too. So four or five days of hunting to shoot one of my biggest bears, mm-hmm. I'll, I'd, I'd do that for 10 days. If I shot one on the 11th day, I wouldn't mind. Yeah. But that 11th. That, that killing that animal on that second last day or that last day is never guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that, that's the thing. And, and again, one of those other things that always kind of sticks out in my mind about you, because like when I go on hunts and stuff, like a lot of waterfowl hunts, they're like, you know, single day hunts or whatever. We'll mm-hmm. go. Um, if it's just me and the guide, we'll kill, you know, our two birds or whatever, and it's done in like an hour. If we got six guys in the blind, it may take, you know, like a half a day or whatever. The point is, even on a three- or a four-day hunt, by like that third or fourth day, depending on how things are going, it's like, all right, this is good. I got it out of my system. It's like, you know, I'm ready to go back home, you know, go see my kids, whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. Seven, 10, 14. What's the longest hunt you've been on? 14 days? It was a t- it would have been 10 days, but it ended on six. Yeah. Yeah, so and you're and and I think one time you was ten and I could have stayed for twenty. And you told me at one time it's like you're just as pumped on day ten as you are on day one. I don't give up. I won't give up. <laughs> If I got daylight and the, and the clock says I can still be out here hunting, <laughs> I will hunt to the last thirty seconds of that time frame until it's over. And then, but I, I'll be, every hunt, and this is this is gonna—I mean, I almost knock on wood when I say this. <laughs> every hunt I've been on for the first time, I've killed something. I've got the animal I was going after. It's mm-hmm. just a, a streak in my um, my mountain lion outfitter. I told him that on the third day. I said, you know something? I didn't tell you this, but every hunt I've ever been on, I've killed an animal. I said, this ain't looking that good. And I'm not going to sit and lie and tell people. Emotionally, you get excited. Um, you get down. Yeah. You get angry. You, yep. get, you feel like the outfitter isn't doing his job. But I will say this, that the outfitter in Utah, that guy worked his ass off. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, every outfitter I've ever hunted with has worked very hard. And I don't know if that's because they know... They can sense I'm that type of person. Like if you don't work hard, I'm gonna I'm gonna point blank ask you like what what's your deal? Yeah, I'm here to hunt. Why are we Why are we sitting around? Yeah, um, I don't go for that. I like to. I told my mountain lion hunt guy before I even went on the trip. 
I want to start hunting in dark in the morning in the dark. Yeah. And I want to hunt till it's dark yeah. every day. None of this crap. We're going to take a nap under the tree in the middle of the day and then watch the birds <laughs> flying around. I can do that at home in my backyard. Right. You know, I'm on a trip. I want to, I want to be, and they always say middle of the day is slow. Uh, animals bed down. I shot the biggest elk of my life in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. So and I shot some of the biggest whitetails I've shot. I've shot in the middle of the day. Yeah. So biggest thing is, and everybody says is don't give up mentally. You got to be wired properly and go into it with the right frame of mind like when i was bear hunting these guys are saying how the hell are you sitting for 12 hours i was like that's all mental you yeah have to, they have to train yourself the day before you go that you're going to do this yep and when they drop you off in the bush once they drop you off out there you're stuck <laughs> right that's so, it that, and that's the other yep that's the other you thing can't too. walk back to the truck get in your car and go home and you know cry to your wife or your girlfriend or whatever <laughs> they put you out in the bush and they're saying come we'll come get you at 10 o'clock at night well you're stuck there now right. so maybe that's a good thing in yeah. some respects but um, you're paying for a hunt. You might as well get every every ounce of squeeze every, every out, yeah. you can out of it because that's your money that you're spending. And uh, and shooting an animal doesn't always mean success on a hunt. Right. Now I haven't yet to experience the other side of that coin. <laughs> I've heard plenty of guys say that they've shot bears or shot didn't shoot an animal, had a great time. Um, I really don't. I I don't know how that goes together because a great time to me is is if you're in the, if you're seeing animals. Yeah. That's good enough because then you have opportunity right but when you're going day after day after day like even the bear hunt you know i'm thinking we're in the right we're in the right part of this of this providence <laughs> is there right. bears around here right you, and start you just questioning. gotta believe in what's going on you gotta have the right frame of mind yeah you know and and in my experience i found too like and i've seen it on both sides like if you go and you're like input in, you know having input you're asking questions you're asking intelligent questions and you're working with the guide and it's kind of like a team effort Absolutely. where as i've seen guys come in who are in a different tax bracket than i'm in and it's just like they come in they throw their stuff down and they're just like all right like they're waiting for the guy to do everything it's like you you know don't yeah, be above yeah don't and, be above picking up decoys and, and, and enjoy or enjoy the little experience stuff. yeah you know, like a lot of these guys they don't want you to help them pack or cut the animal up i skin all my animals yep. all my animals i skin them and i pack them my, yep. my mountain lion he's like you sure you want to carry that we had the, you know, the skull and your paws the, the, the carcasses out of it yeah you roll that up you still got you know 40 pounds or 30 pounds in your pack plus all your other gear and they're like you sure you want to carry that out? i'm like absolutely yeah I and i carried my caribou and i carried my elk out i'm like yeah i I could have you do it, right? And um, and I tell them, I said, well, while I'm carrying this, I want you, all I want you to do is take a picture of me doing it, right? And then if you're video, and I want you to videotape the whole process, not that I threw the elk on my back for three seconds, took a picture, <laughs> it said, took I, it, and then and it I gave it to us, right? Um, that's part of it. That's part of the hunt. Uh, well, yep. I always say when you kill an animal, the work begins, and that's true. It it really does. And Dragging that's part them out. of. Um, mm. So many guys go to Africa, they kill an animal, and they sit under a tree and they watch the skinner skin it and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. Yeah, to each his own, but to me, uh, you're experiencing it. You know, what else are you gonna do? You're sitting there. Why not do some work? It ain't gonna right. kill you, right? It'll give you something to talk about. Tell your buddies what it's really like out there. You exactly. know, it's fun. Exactly. Know? And I carried my mountain goat off the hill, skinned it, and carried it down. Actually, the outfitter said he's never seen a goat skin that fast on a mountainside before. <laughs> I said, I've done a lot of these. I know what I'm doing. So he sat back, and his job was to basically tell me where to put my feet or where, where I was kind of walking around on the mountain skinning this, that it wouldn't step off and slide and down the hill or something yeah. like that. So, but he enjoyed it. These, and some of these outfitters, they, they don't, they skin things a certain way and I show them how, and I talk to them why I'm doing it this way. Right. So I've actually persuaded some guys to change a little bit of what they do. Cause I got to mount <laughs> these animals, whether I skin them for myself personally, or they skin them for clients that I know that may bring me the animal. I want it skinned a way that's going to be easier and more effective to mount it. Right. So, Everybody can learn something every day. That's for sure. Exactly. If you're one of these guys who thinks you know it all, well, then 
Yeah, I guess you know it all. Nothing <laughs> we can do for you. You know, we'll go, we'll you go just, talk to people that don't know nothing. I yeah, guess you, you know? just let those people go on about their exactly. business. So exactly. now you said something that I didn't know, um, and I've known you, like I said, for a few years now. You didn't start doing taxidermy work until you were forty. No, full time. Full time. Okay. Started doing, I started doing taxidermy when I was seventeen. Okay. So I've been telling people, and this is crazy, and this is how good, how, how smart I am. I've been telling people <laughs> I've been doing taxidermy for thirty years. It's actually thirty three. <laughs> Do three the math. Years, Fifty give minus or take. seventeen, yeah. Yeah, give or take. Yeah. Well, thirty three is not thirty. You know. Yeah. So I've been doing it pretty much my entire adult life. Okay. I started in high school, and. Um, was doing it odd, you know, here and there, learning it, learning a lot, and learning from scratch, learning from trial and error. I was going to say, is that an apprenticeship kind of thing? I went and bought a book at a hobby store, and also when I had when books were actually you know fun to read, not like on tablets and stuff. No, I actually right. went to a hobby store and bought a taxidermy book and read it wow. and learned from a book how to use borax and preservatives and skin stuff. And granted, I, w- I wished I really would have kept some of the stuff I first mounted somewhere uh-huh. in, a, in a keepsake where I could look back on it. Yeah. Um, Compare. Compare. Well, there is no comparison. But, <laughs> but the point is, you want, you want to see where you were and where you've come from. Because I do workshops for, for clients, you know, guys that are interested in taxidermy. I'll do one-on-one workshops. Yep. And I always tell those guys, keep that mount, um, regardless of what it looks like. Keep it for 20 years. Keep it for the rest of your life and see how much you progress in time. And uh, uh, my biggest thing that propelled my taxidermy career to where it is now was going to competitions. Mm-hmm. I like to compete. Okay. Uh, I play football and baseball. And I love doing that. Mm-hmm. And once that's over with, what do you do to fuel that competitiveness? Well, you right. go to competitions and now you're competing your birds against other guys around the country, around the state, and you're competing for awards and ribbons. Wow. And you learn a ton. You have to go in it with an attitude of, you're going to learn something today. Yeah. They're going to criticize you. And I look at criticism as a positive. So yeah. people nowadays, you get criticized, they go cry. You know, they can't, you can't got to tell Johnny did a good job, even though he sucked today. You know, that's not the way, that's not how you learn things. You learn, talk to all your athletes, all your professional CEOs. They learn more when they failed than mm-hmm. when they, when they succeeded. And now I've gone from learning taxidermy out of a book to winning master's awards, third in the world in waterfall, uh, first in the nation in big game, trophy heads, Pretty much every category, I've won a first in either a state or a national level, mm-hmm. and um, just recently competed. I got four people's, two people's choice, and two judges' choice awards, which are basically a judge or a, a person. People are walk around the show mm-hmm. and they pick your piece, not because it's technically perfect or this or that, because they genuinely liked it over the other fifty, hundred pieces that are there. Wow! So those four awards this past year meant more to me than a first or a best of show or best of category because those were picked by one the judge's choice is actually one of the most pin- top of the line ju- awards you can get because that's a judge who knows what he's looking at and right. likes your piece so wow. that's pretty cool yeah. now when you go to these shows are the other contestants like is it kind of like you can kind of exchange ideas and stuff or yeah. are people kind of just real close no, when i first started doing this it was very hush hush people didn't want to give out secrets and mm-hmm. i'll be honest i don't tell everybody all my secrets sure a nobody secrets. does there's a couple secrets i'm gonna take to my grave sure definitely. <laughs> but this year and in the years past lately i've noticed you can uh, you, people are exchanging ideas how did you do that how do you create this how do you do that and i will say this so people that are listening are be careful if you're a tax and everything you hear isn't always the truth Right. Taxidermists seem to embellish. It takes, they want to make something sound like it takes a lot harder and longer to do something that's, than it really does. That's in anything. Exactly. That's in life in general, I think. But, um, yeah, I would say in the last 10 years, it's a lot more open to exchanging ideas, mm-hmm. open conversations about how you do things. The seminars are very 
um, informative and very enlightening and, 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 a, and a great tool to learn from. Um, and so many taxidermists, they don't want to hear that their work isn't that good. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hear that because mommy and daddy and uncles and aunts have told them for the last 20 years, oh, Johnny, you do a great job. Well, in reality, <laughs> you suck. You know, and the way you get better is by somebody telling you what's wrong with the piece. I mean, right. I, I took some brutal critiques from, mm-hmm. from judges. And, um, yeah, does it hurt a little? Absolutely. But you learn in the long run if you're trying to get to someplace. And my goal is to, is to eventually get a first in the world in waterfall and actually maybe a game head or a life-size mammal. And now, that could take another 10 or 15 years to even get to that point. Now, how does that – do you travel um... – to these competitions or are they right here in Wisconsin? We have a Wisconsin Taxidermy Association have their they call it the Wisconsin Championship, which is open to anybody in the country. Okay. Yeah, you get people from Nebraska and Illinois. Some people try to take a mount from like say an Indiana show that they didn't do well. Yeah. Let's take it to Wisconsin and see if the judge up there isn't as tough that the, you know, so let's see if we can get a better award up there. So yeah. there's, there's a lot more Wisconsin people at the Wisconsin show, but you do get the outsiders that come in, which they're welcome. I mean, sure. I go to um, Illinois and um, Minnesota and Iowa shows and mm-hmm. you know, compete. Um, then you get your national level, which is um, as the bar there has been raised tenfold from what it used to be. Then if you uh, you, can, you accumulate points and whatnot, and more first you get in masters, you, then you could then you eligible for the world um, the world show, and the world's got different levels: professional, open, and then the actual mount that you put into the world judging competition. And that takes time to accumulate awards to get to that level because they don't want they don't need 500 mounts right. in the world competition that are amateurish. Gotcha. The judges spend hours. There's three judges on that panel. They mm-hmm. all score your piece, and when it comes down to the final three, then they all vote on those three, and it's a majority wins. Wow! So it's a lot of judging. And the thing about the competitions are the judges don't know whose piece it is. At least you hope they don't know. Because okay. there's no names on it. You're, you're basically given a number. Yeah. But, like, for example, if I did a, a, a bird in Wisconsin, did really well with it, mm-hmm. took it to Nationals, did really well with it, well, pretty soon people start associating that, associating that mallard with, with me, with the, right. with the name of the person. Right. So then it becomes, okay, this is so-and-so's mount, and you hope they don't hold it against you or, or give you points because they know who you are. Right. You want it to be as level as possible. So you're not there when they're actually going through the no, piece and looking through? No, that's a closed-door you're not allowed anywhere near that room. Wow. So what are you doing during that time? Like during the uh, judge? Usually like, I'm at home working. Like, okay. So you kind of. I dropped off my stuff when I come home for two okay. days. I work and I go back up for the weekend and see how we did. Okay. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. Gotcha. Cause you don't want to, they close the doors. They won't tell you nothing. You won't be, they actually, they carry your piece into the room. You okay. can't even go into that room with your mount. They actually take it in there for you. Oh, That's wow. Not, which is good. It keeps it. That way you can't start scoping out other people's stuff. Say, oh, right. Yeah, That's what I was wondering. Like, is it kind of like an open forum thing where you can just walk around yeah. and look at Once other folks? Once the show's open, the judging's been done, then it's absolutely open forum. You can walk around. But the weird part is when you're coming to the shows, they have a they have a staging area where you set your mounts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, then you start seeing, okay, this guy's got two birds. This guy has a duck, whatever. Yeah. Kind of size. But you don't get to see everybody's stuff. But you can say, well, okay, well, I know I'm going to do better than him. I'm going to do better than that guy. So I can eliminate those two off the list. <laughs> right. But there's only like 60 other birds that you didn't see that, you know. And you, as you do this long enough, you get a feel. Like when I mounted my green wing teal last year, I told my wife, I, I know what's first place. Yeah. I just know it. You know, and this year I did two pheasants, a zebra, and a, and a widgeon duck. And I, I knew in the Masters it was going to be tough. Mm-hmm. But, I, I did, but I did get a third in there. So it worked out really good. 
Wow. Worked out nice. Yeah. And all this started from picking up a book and just reading and learning. Actually, about started it. from sitting in a duck blind talking to my brother's friend who was a taxidermist. Okay, that's what I was <laughs> that, going to ask how you. It originally okay, started. that's what I was going to ask you. My mom was... and dad will say, you know, like, oh god, here, now he's skinning fish in his bedroom and he's trying to. That, that's everything. I made a table in ninth grade in a wood shop and I used that table in my bedroom to skin my first couple of fish and mount fish. Wow. Talk about yeah, things happen crazy. You know, things aren't always what they seem, and I'm not professionally trained or anything like that. But I got to the point now where I can judge shows, yeah. I can do workshops, I can teach people how to do this stuff. Yeah, and I like doing it. It's enjoyable to me. I really like it. Wow, it works out good. I'm not afraid to say share information, but also I will tell any guy or girl or woman that comes into a workshop, I'm going to be bluntly honest with you. I've been bluntly honest with my kids. I'm honest with my wife. Mm. I've been, and sometimes that's a positive. Sometimes it's a negative. Sometimes sure. you uh, you say too much, or you, and then you kind of people look at you like you're condescending to them. Well, right. it's, it's just being honest. Right. You know, if stuff stinks. I'm going to say it stinks. <laughs> and I, I'm my own worst critic. Believe me. Some of the mounts in my showroom. My wife's like, why do you keep wanting to like get rid of that one and replace it with something? Like, because you don't see what I'm seeing. The ninety nine point nine percent of people that walk in, they see a beautiful bird or whatever it is, right? And I look at it and I see the mistake on it every single time, and it drives me crazy, right? So I've I've mounted and remounted many things um, over and over. You know, got rid of a bird, threw it in the garbage, tore it apart, and redid another mallard. Wow. People think you're crazy, but I like to look at my stuff and say. That piece I can live with. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, for, and for the most part, I'd say 90% of the stuff in there, mm-hmm. I, I, I truly honestly believe it's the best I can do. Nice. And that's cool. What would you say for anybody that's starting out or, you know, they go to a taxidermist or want to do, you know, taxidermy like that? What, what would be the first thing that you would tell them or what would you tell them? If you want to learn taxidermy? Yeah. Go watch a YouTube video first. Mm-hmm. See if it's even going to be something that interests. And, and the stigma is you need to be an artist. Mm-hmm. I can't draw or paint a picture. To, I mean, I got there's four year olds that can draw better than I can. Mm-hmm. So that's not that's not it. It's understanding anatomy. And when you have an animal, a bird or a deer, whatever it is, you, before you start skinning it, uh, and when you actually do skin it and see the inside muscles, pay attention to how they move and what they do. Right. That'll help you a lot farther. But you've got to look at it from a standpoint, is this something you're going to actually pursue? Because if you're just going to do it kind of whole heart, half-assed, I guess, that's what you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to do it as right. a hobby and kind of help your buddies out and do stuff on the side, that's sure. fine. But if you really want to get into it and make a career or a business out of it, mm-hmm. it's a lot of work. It's a lot of learning, a lot of dejection, a lot of this, a lot of that. But you, you can it can work if you really. And it's not anybody else starts a business. If you yeah. have a desire and a passion, and there's few people in the world that have that, that have the discipline to work by work on their own every day at home or in their shop or whatever. Right. You go to work, you have because you have to be there. Otherwise, right. you get fired. Right. When you work at home. Who's going to fire you? Yourself? Right. Maybe your wife will come home and kill you. Right. <laughs> you know? Who's going to make you get up and, and go? And do yeah. this. And if you, I don't have any trouble working sun up to sundown all weekend. <laughs> I work seven days a week. Right. I always do something, you know, unless I'm out traveling or hunting or whatever. But this business has allowed me, my customers, my clients, and I'm forever going to be ever, for grateful to all the clients I've had that are allowing me to do what I do outside of this business because of the work that they give me. And the work I can do for them it allows me to do the things that I love to do. Sure. It's a great, I, you, I tell people I appreciate their business all the time, I, Christmas time, but it's, it's a true, sincere, not just a, a saying like, hey, yeah, thank you, appreciate your time, business. No, it's really heartfelt. And I, I almost wish I was a millionaire and I could do this for free for people. 
Let me I know, know if when I that won, happens. If I won the lottery at that seven hundred million, <laughs> I, I told my wife I'd still be moaning stuff because I, I can't say no to people. Yeah, I had a guy come in. It's a short story. Brought a fish in. The the guy, the kids that went fishing with their dad, they caught the fish. Well, two weeks later, the dad passed away. The guy asked me, "Hey, can you mount this fish? We want to surprise it and give it back to the kids." Yeah, he took up a donation. So go that that money you took well is less than what the fish is going to cost, but I don't care. I'll do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Because like, is there any way you can have it done in two weeks? I said, "Well, what's in two weeks? Like we're having this benefit, we want to present it." I said, "Well, I'll have it done in two weeks." Yeah. I actually, I skinned it the following day, mounted it. It dried for seven days. I put a fan on and stuff, made sure it was absolutely dry. Painted it and presented it to him, and it was one. I wasn't there at the banquet that mm-hmm. when they presented it, but I saw photos, and it was. I wish I could have been there. Yeah. Because the kids, the kids were genuinely. So happy. We had neighbors that knew this guy in the neighborhood where I live in. Yeah. And we're like, this guy. I, and actually, you know, the weird thing is, I went back and checked my Facebook. He liked my Facebook five years ago. Wow. This guy did, yes. Wow. Crazy. How the world works in crazy ways, and it's a small world out there. I've met people that I thought I'd never see again. Some, wish, some I wish I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's, you know, but that's why uh, my... With my, with my two kids, I would say don't burn bridges with people. Yeah, you can you can disagree and agree to disagree, but sometimes you're gonna need to walk across that bridge to get to that point, yeah. and you don't want to burn that and ruin stuff. Because yeah. I've met people in the business that I've seen, you know, I haven't seen for ten or fifteen years, and it comes full circle again, you know. Or clients, you know, clients that bring you a deer in 1990, and it's the other thing I tell people: you kill a big buck is what drives me crazy. The first thing they call is what's what's your what do you charge? <laughs> Okay, it took you, you've been hunting for 40 years, you haven't shot a deer. And you're looking for the cheapest price so you can put this trophy on the wall right. that you got to look at for the rest of your life and pass down to your kids and generations. And the first thing you're worried about is how much does it cost? Not the quality of the work, right. none of that stuff. And I tell people, that's the one thing. Go find a taxidermist before you kill something, before you do that. Yeah. People think, oh, I might jinx myself. Well, maybe it does, but that, I don't believe in that crap, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Karma is a bitch, but I, think, I don't think jinxing yourself is, is, is true. But you need to know, and, and you got to find somebody you can trust. And I, this is another thing. I often wondered why a guy in Nevada, uh, Boston, Minnesota would trust me to do their taxidermy work. They can't find somebody down the road. The re- and they, they can. The problem is they found somebody and they got screwed over. Or they don't like it. I mean, I I tell you this now, and it's not blowing smoke up your butt because you know me well enough. Mm-hmm. As much as I'm ready to go back home, I am dreading the day I go back home <laughs> because I don't know how I'm going to get my stuff done well, and how much is, and again, how much it's going to cost me to get it up here to get it done. That can all be done. That can all be logistically worked out. So, I, mean, I got a guy that's going to Iowa from Minnesota. He's going to Iowa deer hunting. He's like, how can I get my deer to you? He wants to do two life-size pieces. I was yeah. like, you know, I'll meet you in, I'll meet you in Platteville or in La Crosse when you're heading back home with it. I said, and shipping shipping is a lot less expensive than than it can. Would you pay on shipping amount back and forth? Yeah. It'd be a lot cheaper than having it done somewhere near home. And now you spent this money, and now you got to look at this piece of garbage all right. the time. So I tell clients, um, we'll find if there's a will, there's a way, and we'll get. I mean, I've shipped mounts all over the country from birds to deer to life size stuff. Um, it can be done. There, there's a duck done. on my wall at home, and 
not going to disparage anybody, but I just look at that duck. I think and I shake. saw a picture of that. Yes, in your background you did. You asked because you asked me. <laughs> you, you said, <laughs> it looked like I got killed twice. <laughs> you said to me, "It's like, hey, where'd you get that duck done?" I was just like, "I got it done at home." It's like, oh, okay. And to your credit, you was just like, oh, okay. I'm not gonna blow. Yeah, you thing, right? <laughs> but quite honestly, I think if you put it off for a decoy, you probably scare more ducks away. Oh than my in. god, I but, look. I look at that thing every time I go home, and I just kind of just. Okay. Well, that, that goes back to pe- make, people making mistakes. You got to learn from those mistakes. And yeah. unfortunately, with taxidermy, guys, you're gambling a lot. You shoot a big trophy. Okay, yes. that trophy, people ask if, if your house burned down, insurance, what would they pay for? Well, to you, it's priceless. Right. So we got, you got a priceless piece that you're now trying to nickel and dime people to get it mounted. So I don't, I don't understand that logic. Now, I'm not saying go to the most expensive guy. I'm not the most expensive by any stretch. No. But why price becomes this big tipping point with some guys i don't understand and i'll be honest too i've, I've remounted so many freaking deer that have been mounted by people close to me here yeah it's horrendous yeah and these are trophies are 160 180 bucks i mean just you know trophies true not that a 120 or 100 inch deer is a trophy but a guy gets lucky and shoots 180 inch deer out in the wild rare yeah and he, the first thing he's looking for is the cheapest guy to mount it or they come to me and say would you mount this, you know, we'll give you publicity. I'm like, well, no, that don't work. How's, how's that going to benefit me? I did. You're going to tell people the guy did the mount for free. If they can't get theirs for free, they're not going to come here. Do? Yeah. So, but it's, um, do your homework. Yeah. I mean, I got guys that are going to Africa and all around the world. First thing I tell them here before I quote you any numbers, come look at my stuff. We'll sit down. We'll go through my price list. We'll go through what you want to do. Yep. You'll leave here knowing what it's roughly going to ballpark cost you. You got to see what I do. And 95, if not more, percent of those people come back. You know, I've had people show up at the front door and, oh, I'll look at your work. And then they run out to their car and grab their duck or their deer <laughs> out of their car. You know, it's they're trying to play like, a game with you. Like, well, right. I'm just, just kind of testing to... you. Well, I let, I let the work speak for itself. And, yeah. I, and I will tell somebody, I give timelines, and I make my timelines. Yeah. I mean, you shot your turkey, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Three weeks ago, I think. Your First of May. And the fan and tail and beard and feet are done. Yep. Now, I told you it'd be done soon. Yep. You did. <laughs> you know, and I got another one I got done for another client done. Um, now, not like, like life-size turkey mounts. That would be six to eight, ten months to right. get that back. But something like that, those get... We, I don't need that in my freezer for six months. I want to get it done and out. Get it out of the way for yeah. the space. Yeah. But I tell you, with the taxidermy, with people, if you're going to listen to your guy give you excuses about tanning, is delayed, that's why your mount's delayed, I'm getting divorced, that's another big excuse. Um, I'll say this, excuse, you know, excuses are like assholes. Everybody has one. Exactly. And if your taxidermist is giving you a bunch of excuses, I think you got to move on. Yeah. I think it's time to move on. And I've got a number of guys right now at this, to this, at this very day mm-hmm. who are going to another tax service right now and pulling their stuff. They've had enough. Wow. Eight months, 10, 12 months, they've had the skins tanned yeah. and are sitting there and they're done. They're done. I told one guy, I said, I could have half your, had a half your mounds done already. Yeah. You know, I got two big Russian bears sitting in my, I'm on the floor of my studio right now that um, had been tanned now for six months. And they're not even close to being started. I'm going to turn one of them around the rug because it's for different. The guy's giving it to a client as a gift. Mm-hmm. I told them, "Give me a month; it'll be done." And the quality is not going to suffer. And right. so they want people to understand: <laughs> you turn a mount around fast. Yeah. Believe me, it don't take me six months to mount a deer head. I'd be, I'd be charging you ten thousand dollars if it did. <laughs> so it's a matter of working at it. Freezers are where stuff sits for eight to ten, twelve months. Is where your mounts are sitting while they're not being worked on. Mm-hmm. That's another misconception. There's so many. 
crazy misconceptions and stereotypes about taxidermists and people I'm learning are, are, are just thinking that's the norm. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah. At least I'm trying, I'm trying to personally change that myself. Now, and my clients will tell you, mm-hmm. I think some of them are spoiled to be honest with you. They don't know what it's like to go to a crappy guy and it's good and bad in a sense because then they kind of get cocky and they think, oh yeah, you should watch, what would it take you three months to mount it for? We I mean, three months. Right. It take 12 months to two years in some cases. <laughs> right. And you're complaining about three months. Well, I'm exaggerating too. It's not, it's not really like that bad, but it's nice to have people that will talk to you about, talk about you to other people. Cause that's sure. how taxidermy spreads, you know, internet, uh, all the advertising you can do word of mouth is mm-hmm. going to get you the work period. All this other junk is just junk. People need to hear, like when I go on a hunt, I will not go with an outfit that, that somebody has not hunted with that I personally know. Right. You're right. really rolling, rolling, rolling the, the dice, dice by doing that stuff. Cause yeah. you could really, you could, it's a lot of money and you could really be, I've heard of guys going to Alaska on a grizzly hunt, $30,000 hunt, they put a $15,000 deposit down. I'll meet you at the dock. We'll pick you up. The guy stands at the dock for three hours and nobody ever shows up. Wow. I've heard that story. Not just with grizzly bears, but other hunts too, where guys show up at an airport. Uh-huh. We'll pick you up. Well, nobody's there to pick them up. And that check's been cashed and deposited and gone. And the outfitter was all smoke and mirrors. Wow. So I could, anybody can put together a website. Anybody can post pictures and look real pretty and professional. Right. Bottom line is... Find a guy that's gone to that taxidermist. Find a guy that's um, gone to that outfitter. Yeah, and I tell you, you'll have you'll save yourself money, time, and you'll have a great you get a great mount, and you're going to get have a great hunt yeah. most of the times. Yeah, you know, the hunting that's that's up to God well, sometimes. If the animal doesn't present itself. You that, know, they that, I was going to say that, that that's a whole another thing yeah. for another day. Yeah, but you know, well. I appreciate it. I thank you for doing this. I think I want to go see my turkey now. Excellent. I'm good. (laughs) Thanks a lot, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, man, that turkey mount turned out to be really badass. Um, I posted it all on my Instagram and on uh, Facebook, official Bryant Land on Instagram and then Bryant Land on Facebook. So you guys should definitely uh, take a look at it if you haven't seen it already. Um, And thanks again to Dave for taking the time. Uh, very busy man, so he took the time to talk to little old me, and I appreciate it. Before I get out of here, I just want to remind you guys, BryantLandCountry.com is the website. BryantLandCountry.com has everything Bryantland on it, so go over, take a peruse, browse around, grab a t-shirt, uh, you know, grab some gifts for dad. Father's Day is coming up. Uh, use the promotional code DADDY, D-A-D-D-Y, and get 20% off for uh, Father's Day. So make sure you are doing that. Get uh, Dad something nice from the Bryantland shop and check out the Bryantland.com website. That's going to be it for me this week. I'm going to go ahead and get on out of here. Thank you again for your support of everything Bryantland. Make sure you tell five people to tell five more people to listen to the Bryantland Country Podcast. And I'll catch y'all here next week for another episode of the Bryantland Country Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Bryantland Country Podcast, hosted by AB3. Please leave us a positive review and five-star rating on iTunes. Be sure to check out our podcast section on our website, bryantlandcountry.com, for previous podcasts. Check us out on Instagram at Official Bryantland and Twitter at 3 Bryantland. This has been an AB3 Media Production. Join us next time for another edition of the Bryantland Country Podcast. <laughs>